Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. One of the first times I experienced community, Christian community, I was in a small town church in Roseville, Illinois. I'd just gotten married, just got back from my honeymoon, and in our parsonage, all of our cabinets were filled with food, our uh, refrigerator filled with food. They had this thing called a pound party in our absence where you get a pound of this and a pound of that. I don't even know if they do anything like that anymore. And we came back and all of, like everything filled. We didn't have to worry about going to the grocery store. We were just able to settle back into our home and it just felt like love. It was an incredible, incredible experience. I've experienced Christian community many times. One time I was in the hospital, I had kidney stones, and I remember it was like the worst experience of my life, okay? Somebody said preach, somebody knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's horrible. And while I was in there, I had Christian friends coming through and the Christian community rallied around us. It was amazing. When my mom uh, mom passed away, I ended up uh, receiving this gift Somebody raised about 800, 900 bucks, and they just sent it to us so that I could fly back and be with my family during that time. My mom died unexpectedly. It was just this amazing thing to see the Christian community rally together and love on me during that season of my family, during, during that season of my life. There's lots of times that I've experienced Christian community. I've been on the receiving end of the kindness and goodness of God's people. But probably my favorite stories are the ones where I've been able to be a part of impacting somebody else's life. That's been amazing. And it could be as simple as somebody had to move. You know who your real friends are when you have to move, people. And that's just a fact. So somebody has to move, and they're like, hey, I got to move. Can somebody help me? And just wait for all the crickets. (laughs) But when you see the Christian community rally together and help somebody to move and just be there in that time. I've been on many mission trips with God's people where we've gone out to impact the kingdom and to be able to see God's hand in motion, to see that kind of Christian community has been so powerful and so amazing. There's been so many times I've been able to be there, whether it's being some, uh, doing somebody's funeral and being able to love on the family during that time, during that season. It can be difficult, but it's a beautiful thing to be able to be an agent of God's love during that season. Or somebody has a wedding and you get to perform that wedding. When you do ministry, lots of opportunities to be able to live in and throughout Christian community. And there will be a day, many of you will be going into ministry, and you're going to have an opportunity to help form and create that Christian community. And some of you guys have ministries right now. Some of you guys are in churches, you're actively involved in leadership, and you might know what I'm talking about when I say that. Christian community will be tested over the years. I haven't seen Christian community tested like I did through COVID. See, the reality is when COVID came, people didn't know what to do. And at first it was like two weeks to stop the curve. You guys remember that? And that turned into like two years. And then all the politics started swirling. And then you had Christians over here saying, well, you know, if you really want to love people, you have to be six feet apart and you have to wear masks because that's what Jesus would do. And then you had people over here going, well, if you want to really be a Christ follower, you have to not live in fear and you can't wear masks and you have to be able to interact with people. And I saw in our church that there was this tendency to look at what the Bible happened among people. Are we doing the right thing as Christians? 
And then you look at what the Bible says and what community is in the Bible. And might I just say it looks a whole lot different than that. That's just a fact. Today what I want to do is I want to look at what Christian community looks like in the Bible. Now, we are talking about community, and so I want to define community just for a moment here. So here's a quick definition, an understanding of the root of what community means. It comes from the Latin word communitas, which means same, or communis, which means common, public, shared by all. So we talk about community, we're talking about this, this unity, this oneness, this common shared things. That's what community looks like. And it looks far bigger than you and it looks far bigger than me. It's shared values. It's things that we have in common. And Christian community specifically, we're not talking about going into our communities to make a difference. We're talking about Christian community today. And there is a precedent and that's a great conversation for another day. But today we're going to talk about Christian community, what that looks like for you and for me. But first let's look at what it looked like for the early church. And I want to go back to the very beginning in Acts chapter 2. And see what happened when God first did something, when he started his church through the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 2. We'll put it on the screen here for you as well. And we're going to read this here. But we're going to look at what Christian community is and what it was. And we're going to look at what it means for us today. And then we're also going to talk about what it isn't. Okay? Because I think there's sometimes we have a danger of taking things from a passage that the passage never did say. So today, let's look at this, Acts chapter 2. What we know is that the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. There were some 900,000 people in Jerusalem during this time. Usually there's like 100,000 people living in and around Jerusalem. So it swelled to some 900,000 people. And the disciples are just waiting in Jerusalem like Jesus told them to do. Waiting for the helper to come. And the helper is the promise. It's the Holy Spirit. So what we find here on the day of Pentecost is something like tongues of burning fire comes down and separates upon the disciples. There may have been as many as 120 different disciples there at that time. And the Holy Spirit comes down and they begin to preach the gospel and all these people hear the gospel in their own language. And that's really key here as we understand this text and we talk about this community that we're going to be talking about here today. That's the background. And as they hear the gospel, at the very end, they're pierced to the heart and they say, what do we need to do? Like, what's our response? And you guys know the story. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the promise that Jesus told them to wait for. It's a magnificent moment. These 3,000 people come to know the Lord. It's the start of the day here in a moment. Big deal. But it's also problematic in some ways that we're going to find here in a moment. And we're going to talk about that. Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 42, the very end of this passage, it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having, uh, and having favor with all the people." And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's a lot that we could take away from this passage, so we're going to look at some of those things. Uh, Let's start off with this one basic concept, and that's this, that Christ brought unlikely people together in community. 
Christ brought unlikely people together in community. This past Sunday, I was sitting with three other people as we were talking, and one lady's a former addict. And she's sitting there talking about Jesus and how amazing Jesus is. There's another lady that's there, and she has anxiety, massive anxiety. It's hard for her to go out in public. And she's there talking about Jesus and how Jesus is changing her life. And there's one other man that, that was there in that conversation, and he's successful. I'm telling you, this man uh, does well in life. He's successful by the world standards, but, but he's sitting there talking about all the things that Jesus is doing in his life, and we're all laughing and just grateful with gratitude towards Christ. And I sat there in that moment thinking, where are you going to find this group of people? Like, like so radically different. Where else are you going to find that kind of group of people together for something bigger than themselves? See, that's what Christ does is he brings unlikely people together. Here's a unique thing about this passage. We know that there were people that were from all different walks of life. You had people who lived near and close to Jerusalem, but then you had people who lived nowhere near. And here's what the text says earlier in the book of Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 9. You see the list of the different people that were there on that day of Pentecost. And they all spoke different tongues. They had different backgrounds. Now, they, they shared one thing. Many of them were Jews. But beyond that, there were a lot of differences that they held. A lot of reasons for division. A lot of reasons to say, hey, listen, you think different than I do. You process different. You live different than I do. We really have nothing in common. But when the Holy Spirit came down, it changed their life forever. And Christ brought them together in community. Here's what happened. These people actually lived many miles away, but when the Holy Spirit came upon them that day, they made a commitment that they would now live in Jerusalem. Don't miss this. They weren't from Jerusalem. See, they were living temporarily on the Mount of Olives. Many of them were kind of setting up tents, and there was this temporary housing. But then when the Holy Spirit came down, they said, wait a minute, we can't go back to who we once were. There's something massively different about us. And so many have to stay here. This is now our home. And they're trying to figure this thing out. And so many other people go back after Pentecost. We know of this one moment of 3,000 people. Some theologians say, well, maybe it's not just 3,000. It could have been a whole lot more than that. And so when you think about that, that's, that's massive. That's a massive issue. And so it's not just that. It's Christ-used community to meet needs. So you have people from all different walks of life, and now they have all of these needs, right? Because when you've got 3,000 people, and maybe it's more than that. Maybe the 3,000 were just men, and then you got to account for their, their wives and their children, and they all decide to stay. But let's just say 3,000 is a conservative number. Up to 3,000 people now living in Jerusalem, this is a problematic issue now because the church is brand new. And the church is now saying, we have to do something about these new believers that are living in Jerusalem. What are we going to do about this? It's very unique. It's a very unique situation. Let's keep that context in mind because in a minute we're going to talk about that. But here we have all of these needs, and we have, yes, shelter needs. Yes, we have food needs, basic food, water, and shelter, clothing. These people who are now making this their home. And so the church is saying, we've got to do something about this. We actually find in the book of Acts that they had to get more and more organized over time. And then we find in other, the Apostle Paul's writings where he actually sets up parameters about how they're going to help people, even widows. And so when we talk about community, sometimes I think we get this picture that community is easy. It should just be easy. I mean, when I hear people talk about the community of Christ, it's funny to me because sometimes I hear people start talking about how easy it should sound and look. Can I just tell you, Christian community is not easy. 
It's not easy. You know why? Because you're part of it. Can I just be honest? We are part of Christian community, and we are very flawed. And there's a lot of things that go into that. And it's very easy for, to have somebody who's actually not part of community who wants to gain community. And that's what I want to talk about. It means to be part of community and in community. You see, Christ used community to meet needs. When you have that many people, this is now their home. They've got issues. But there's another thing I want to talk about, and that's that Christ used community to teach his people. Christ used community to teach his people. Now remember, there's people who are near Jerusalem, near Judea. There's people who are near Galilee who knew who Jesus was. But there's a lot of people now living here who've been impacted by the Holy Spirit. And they know about this Jesus who rose from the tomb. But they have no idea who Jesus was other than maybe what they've heard. And now they are a blank slate. But God has called them into this community. And they are like sponges ready to learn. And so every day they're living in community because they want to learn and they want to grow. They're now Christians. This is a massive difference in their life. And they have a lot of differences, but they have one thing in common, and that's Christ. And so they're soaking up Christ. And every day it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That was their value. That's what they focused on. And it was community in which that happened, living together every day, dwelling together, doing things together. I'm learning from you as we go along because here's the thing. This is a big change in their life, and they want to learn, and they want to soak it up. And that's what Acts chapter 2 verse 42 clearly shows us. Every single day they're doing this. From the moment that they make that choice to repent and be baptized, they're committed. They're committed to something far greater than themselves. Since some of them were nowhere near, starting from a blank slate, this becomes a big, big issue for the early church. And the disciples, the apostles, they commit themselves to this. These people who they have very little in common with, these people who have now moved to the area, this is a selfless act, believe it or not, that they left their homes to come and to live here now. This is a selfless act, a big act for these early Christians. And now you've got this selfless act from the apostles and the people living in Jerusalem. Oh, is that this becomes the epicenter of Christianity. And even as the church grows, ultimately what's going to end up happening here is the church grows here in Jerusalem. And that becomes problematic because now they become the focus of persecution. Here's what we end up finding. Christ used community to prepare the church for persecution, guys. Man, persecution was coming. It was knocking on the doors. And as the church begins to grow, much like God's people wandering in the desert, they grew in number and they become a little army. That's what's happening here. They're growing in number. Uh, And the bottom line is this, guys. As they're growing in number, they're also growing in resolve. And they're growing in their faith. Just a few short years later in Acts chapter 8, we find that they have to scatter And the church is now all throughout the area. And we find these churches uh, popping up and Paul planting churches everywhere. Why? Because now we have this base of these people who know Jesus and they're ready to go out and share it with the entire world. This was God's plan. Community. Because when persecution came, it would grow the church even more. These people committed themselves to something far greater than themselves. And they committed themselves to the gospel. Now, a lot of times we look at a passage like this and we use this as a baseline for what the church is exactly supposed to look like here today. 
Can I give a couple of cautions as we get started, as we look at this? I, I think the dangers of these passages, number one, it's not a theological baseline for socialism. It's just not. It's a very unique situation in a very unique time that we can learn principles from. Okay, And it looks different sometimes as time goes along. It's not always going to look exactly like that. Christian community doesn't always look like selling everything you have. That's not exactly what it looks like. But it looked like that in that time for a very specific reason, driven by the Holy Spirit with very specific, massive needs that the church had. The second thing, we must contextualize the big ideas. Because as times change and times will change, the principles of community need to remain the same. We are the death of something far bigger than us, people, and that is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us together. Though we have lots of differences, even in this room, we will look around, we have lots of differences. But come on, guys, we unite on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we don't put our differences above that. That's what I want to talk about here as we start to shift a little bit here. I want to say this, times change, needs change, and modes change, but Christian community resolves to grow together. As things change, and they will change, community will look different, and that's okay, as long as we resolve to grow together. Listen, if we are a part of something far bigger than us, and that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we begin to realize that the people around us mean a whole lot more than we mean. And I mean that seriously. You see, the reality is community doesn't work if it's about self. Community only works if it's about the people that are around us. The Apostle Paul knew that very well. See, you are a part of something far bigger than yourself. In fact, self and community are oxymoron. It just is. You've done this. You know people who have done this. You start talking about the church and you start saying, I, me, my, got online the other day and somebody says, what's the church doing to reach this next generation? And I said, what are you doing as a part of the church to reach the next generation? <laughs> like, like, the reality is we can look at the church, we can throw stones at the church, but we're the church, y'all. We're the church. And there will be a day when you go and you are leading in a church and that community, that resolve of the community is going to be tested and you're going to have a decision to make. What is our values? What are we going to allow to split this church? What are we going to allow to be the driving force of this church? What are we uniting over? What is our community? What's the baseline for this community? Because people are going to come in and tell you what it's supposed to be. You're going to get plenty of that. Your preach saw it a lot during COVID. I had somebody come up to me and they said, hey, Mike, it's not what you're preaching that I have a problem with. You're a good preacher. I like what you're preaching. It's what you're not preaching. So what am I not preaching? They said, well, you're not talking enough about political things. You're not talking about masks. You're not talking about the way we as Christians are supposed to be doing things. And I said, show me chapter and verse, brother. Show me chapter and verse, and I will preach it. And he goes, well, I don't know. I, I, listen, I don't really know the chapter and verse. I know the Bible that well, but I just know what I'm saying is true. And I said, okay, then. If that's the way you feel, as I respect that, I'm just not there. And they left our church. But God has brought so many more people to our church. God has done an incredible work in our church. Why? Because we have not allowed for things to divide over those kinds of things. The reality is this. You have to decide and you have to have resolve. Here's what I want to say about community as we wrap it up. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. 
This is what he says, verses one through six. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He reminded them earlier on in the book of Ephesians, here's who you once were. And then he said, that's not who you are. You are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you look patently different than the world. So he's talking to Christians. He says, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You have been called, Christians. You have been called into something far bigger than yourself, than the I, than the me, than the my than what you're going to gain from being a Christian. And that sounds weird. But you are called into something far bigger than yourself. And it goes on to say, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Listen, community is a powerful thing. And community changes as time changes. It's going to look different today than it did 2,000 years ago. But the truth is, it's a recognition that it's not about you. And it's not about me. The truth is, if you want to look at community, we have to realize we're a part of something bigger than any one of us singularly. And when we get to that point where we start to think that the church owes us something, or we start to say, hey, you know what, like, like I, I want to be part of, of Christian community. I was talking to somebody the other day talking about Christian community, and they were throwing stones about what the church isn't doing for them. The reality is they chose sin. They were living in sin, this individual. I was talking to them about that, and they're like, well, yeah, my Christian friends, they kind of abandoned me. They're kind of not, not around me anymore. And I'm like, have you repented? Have you stopped living in sin? And he's like, well, I mean, I, I'm still struggling. Like, I'm still doing that. I'm still pursuing that. But, I, but where are my Christian friends right now? And my response to him was, dude, you expect a lot from your Christian friends. You expect for them to do what you're not willing to do. Like, how? It's not community when I have an expectation of the community to do something for me that I can't do for the Christian community. It's not community anymore. See, I can ruin Christian community by making it about something that it never was intended to be. Guys, community is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's far bigger than you. It's far bigger than me. And if we want to put an end to Christian community, make it about yourself. Because that'll do it. See, what we see in the early church is this selflessness where people completely gave whatever they had because there was something far bigger than them, and they saw it, they knew it, they recognized that. Let me look at this word community one more time. Common unity, common unity, that's really what it is. It's common unity. So we're all coming together on this common unity, and the unity is Christ. That's what it is. You want to understand community, understand that it's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I could say it 20 more times if you want to hear it. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ in us. You see, either he's changed your life, and you are no longer who you once were, and you have something bigger to live for, this gospel message to take to all four corners of the earth. And I don't know what it looks like right now, because I haven't really experienced the persecution the early church experienced. I get to work in a church. 
I get to be here preaching at a Bible college where you guys are being trained for ministry. Like, guys, we are living in extraordinary times. We are living in amazing times. You guys get to live in community right now, preparing and getting ready for ministry. Every single day, you're learning from people who are super smart, who want to pour into your life. And you have an opportunity to grow so that you can lead the church. It's going to be no small task. That community is going to be tested every step of the way. So let me give you a couple practical takeaways here. Takeaway number one is consider how often you use personal pronouns, I, me, and my. And call out your roommates when they do. <laughs> like, hey, man, it sounds pretty selfish the way you're talking right now. Like, I know you're going through some tough, some tough stuff right now. Sometimes our best friends are really good at calling us out on stuff. See, because it quickly goes from I'm going through a tough time to a gripe session against the church and against God. You guys know what I'm talking about? Against the school, against whatever. And then before you know it, Christian community starts to get diminished. It starts to get crushed. Why? Because now whatever I'm going through is more important than the community. It's tough. You see, Paul knew that, and he's like, if everybody had humility, if everybody lived that kind of life, that would be a beautiful picture. He teaches that, us that in Philippians. We should have the attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It's a powerful picture. Second thing I want to say, word. Next time you, you take communion, look outward and ask, how is my church family doing, instead of looking inward? See, the Apostle Paul teaches us in the, in, in the church, when he wrote his book to the church in Corinth, and he said, uh, listen, we got the table, and some of you are running to the table, and you're eating, and you're drinking, and you're getting fat. And there's people who have very real needs, people. There's some Christians who have very real needs, and they're not able to get their needs met. So take communion in a worthy manner. And a lot of times we think that means we got to take that juice, we got to look inwardly, think about our sins and what we've done and how it's affected God. That's really not even what Paul's saying there. What Paul's saying is look around. Because if you put yourself before the community, communion, community, guys, I want to tell you, Jesus loves you, and that's very true. Community means we are on mission together. And we set our differences aside. We set our things aside. We sacrifice for something far greater than us. Boise Bible College, God is going to do an amazing things with you. Just remember whose you are and make sure that you give glory to God and not yourself. Can we pray? Dear Father, I just want to pray that as we wrap this up here, God, as, as your spirit just settles down right now, I pray, God, that you do us a work within us to teach us what community really looks like. God, help us to start with ourselves, that we can, we can just say, God, do business with me so that it's not about me. And God, I pray that we could look outwardly and we could see our brothers and sisters. God, we could recognize that you have done a good work. You have brought us together, and it's for something far bigger than us. God, put us on mission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.